We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to Chasing Hardware, the podcast that sits down with the sports figures you grew up with and hears their stories. Welcome to Chasing Hardware. I'm your host, Rich Lamella. My guest today played in the first ever bowl game, matching a number one versus a number two team. And that Wisconsin team he played for is still the highest ranked Badger squad ever. In the NFL, he was the primary center for Vince Lombardi's last three titles, including Super Bowls one and two. Along the way, in the famed Ice Bowl, he played a critical role in one of the most iconic drives of all time, culminating in a perfectly executed block, which sent the Packers to Super Bowl II. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to Chasing Hardware, Mr. Ken Bowman. Ken, welcome. Well, thank you very much, Rich. It's good to see you. Good to hear from you. Yeah, well, good to have you on the show, Ken. I, I look forward to this. Um so obviously, just from the open, <laughs> a lot of a uh, lot of very Wisconsin-centric football to talk about today. Um, but before we get there, we'll start off in in Northern Illinois. Um, so Ken, you're you're born in Milan, Illinois. Uh, you go to Rock Island High School in in Rock Island, Illinois. But you also spend a, a good deal of your growing up in Chicago. Tell me a little bit about you know kind of growing up in uh, in Illinois. Let's see, how old was I? It was about seventh grade um, that we moved from Chicago, the south side of Chicago. And uh, uh, we uh, we moved over to uh, uh, Rock Island or Milan. Uh, my dad uh, uh, got some financing and... and uh, uh, he bought into a standard oil gas station over there. So um, that's where we moved to. I got, uh, I got started playing football um, basically at uh, uh, Franklin junior high had uh, um, a coach there, coach Frank. And uh, he, uh, he used to play for the New York uh, giants. So I had that at the high school. It was uh, Shorty Olmquist, who, who I, I think coached uh, at 
University of Minnesota for a while. I played ball during high school and uh, and then went up to the University of Wisconsin. And did you play any sports besides football at Rock Island? Uh, I put the shot, uh, okay. shot put in, in track. But uh, other than that, no, just played f- <laughs> just played football. Gotcha. Okay. The reason I ask is because I saw that Don Nelson had gone to your high school also, was a couple years ahead of you. So I was curious if you had played basketball at all with him. No, I... <laughs> He was he was the basketball star, and he <laughs> he went on to the University of Iowa, and then he he for years I think played with the Celtics. I know him, met him, and uh, but he was two years ahead of me. Uh, so, you know, and when you're a senior in high school, you don't fraternize with uh, sophomores. So. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Um, and how did you choose Wisconsin? Were you talking to other schools or was were you kind of honed in on Wisconsin from the start? No, I uh I I had it was kind of fun because uh once uh you know once your name gets out there and once they uh they earmark you as a as a prospect. Uh, you know, everybody and their brother wants to have you visit the campus and, uh, and they want to try to talk you into, uh, you know, attending that school. I, uh, I went, I think out of the big 10, I, I hit Illinois, Indiana, uh, Northwestern, one of the Michigan schools, I think it was Michigan state, um, and Minnesota or, or in Iowa. Iowa was only 45 miles from Rock Island, so it was, you know, my dad was pushing hard for <laughs> Iowa because he didn't want me to go too far. Sure. But sure. I picked uh, Wisconsin. I, it was, <laughs> it's a pretty campus, and it's right in between two lakes, Lake Monona and Lake Mendota. It's a beautiful campus. You know, being a kid to, uh, Coming out of the South Side of Chicago, you, know, you can appreciate, uh, you know, a nice campus like that. And Wisconsin basically had a had a good football team at that time. So, yeah. So Milt Brune is the coach, and um, and your junior year, and there's a couple of guys there like Dale Hackbard and Jim Bakken who I think would actually both go on to play for the, for the Cardinals. Um, your junior year, you guys are number two in the country. USC is number one. You win the Big Ten, and you go out for a Rose Bowl, which, like I said at the outset, was the first time ever that a one had played a two in a bowl game, and it's a heck of a game. You guys lose 42-37. Ron Vanderkellen's your quarterback. Tell me about, you know, was there like an appreciation at the time that this was a one versus two game or was it, you know, there was enough hype that it was just the Rose Bowl. You didn't have to worry about that other stuff. I knew that that it was a number one, number two game. Yeah. But uh, I was unaware that it was the first time. The, the folks out there did a, a whale of a, of a selling job. Oh, you guys are so big. <laughs> You're so you uh, you guys uh, from the Big Ten, you, I don't know if 
you know, don't hurt our boys now. And uh, <laughs> half of the guys on our team believed that crap. Uh, it took us some time to work through that and and uh, to finally make a game out of it. I think, I think if the game would have gone five more minutes, I think we'd have won it. But uh, there weren't that many guys that went on from the, the Badgers um, to the pros. And along the way, you're you're the captain your senior year, and you start to get a little bit of a taste of of what the NFL is going to be like because because you're I guess your junior and senior year you're playing against Illinois and Dick Butkus. Uh, did you any did, did you make an impression in college? In my remembrance of uh, of uh, the Illinois game when Butkus was a center and and uh, I got to play nose tackle. Right. Uh, <laughs> I had I had a pretty good forearm uh, on defense, and um, <laughs> I could kind of sneak it under the uh, the face mask, and, and usually hit you hit you right on the chin. Uh, Dick came out of the huddle one time. He says, "Oh, I, you know, damn near knocked me out," but <laughs> <laughs> he more than got even on when he was defense because uh, he played. They played an even uh, defense, uh, four-three uh, defense, and he. Uh, so I had to go out and block him, and uh, and I had to eat his form. So it was. <laughs> That's funny, it, um, and so then, so then you get drafted. You're drafted in the eighth round by Green Bay. Uh, and you're also drafted, this is obviously when there's the AFL and the NFL, you're drafted in the 10th round by the Jets. Just curious how you chose the NFL and Green Bay over the Jets. Did you just have a preference for the league or coaching staffs? What what drove your decision? I guess, I, you know, I looked at, uh, well, first of all, um, I, got, I got picked by uh, Coach Lombardi. Mm-hmm. That, that's reason enough. Right. But uh, um, but uh, at that point, uh, I, I think uh, uh, Jim Ringo, who was the perennial all-pro at center um, from the, the Packers, uh, had uh, decided that he was he was going to go back home to Philadelphia and try to play for them. Um, and and so he uh, uh, he talked Lombardi into trading him to Philadelphia. So the Packers were without a center, and I, you know I uh, I was one of three centers that was drafted uh, in uh, in nineteen whatever it was sixty sixty three sixty four, mm-hmm. but. Uh, they picked uh, uh, John Morris from Boston College was number one. He later played for uh, the New England Patriots. Yeah, he chose to go to the uh, AFL. Right. And, uh, and then he was number one. Number three was uh, uh, Bill Curry out of uh, uh, Georgia, Georgia Tech. Georgia Tech. Georgia Georgia Tech. Yeah. And, uh, so he uh, he was number three, 
And uh, he, for whatever reason, decided because he had one more year of of uh, playing time, he decided to stay in college and to use up his uh, collegiate uh, time. Um, and uh, and then I got picked. It was either seventh or eighth, I think. And uh, uh, so they they drafted up there, up in Green Bay, they drafted three offensive centers uh, that year. And uh, like I said, one one stayed home in Boston. The other one stayed in college. And so I was the only <laughs> I was the only one uh, that showed up for camp. Right. Um, and they put they put. Uh, with Bob Skoronsky at center, who's uh, Bob was their left tackle, and Lombardi's theory of of uh, the offensive line, I, I it uh, Ringo fit right in it. I think Ringo was two thirty, two thirty five, and quick. You know, he was very quick, cuts people down, and. Uh, and so I, uh, I tried to get all of the playing uh, uh, tapes that I could of Ringo, and uh, and uh, tried to copy him as much as I could. Gotcha. And um, what, one thing about Ringo, because and, and obviously we'll get into it a little bit later, um, you know, some of the union stuff. But uh, you realize it's a business. I had heard that with Ringo, he went into a contract negotiation with an agent. And Lombardi was like, who's this? And he's like, it's my agent. And he said, oh, okay, hold on a second. Comes back 20 minutes later and he says, you and your agent have been traded to Philadelphia. Just kind of highlighting what a business it was. It, does that story ring true or do you not remember it that way? I don't know. No, I, I heard, I've heard the story, that story. Okay. I also heard this, but that Ringo wanted to go. And, uh, and, and that's why, uh, I, and he he made uh, he must have made a somewhat of a ridiculous offer because they didn't have uh, they didn't have him back up. Kenny Iman uh, got traded to uh, uh, who he was Ringo's backup. Okay, uh, Kenny, he got traded to the Los Angeles Rams, mm-hmm. so totally without a center. Uh, for 1964, yeah, and uh, and uh, Bob Skoransky played center in college, so he uh, that's the, he was the first uh, guy that uh, uh, that Coach Lombardi tried out at the uh, position, and uh, and it's you know there's a world of difference between. Uh, he, he, Bob played for the University of Indiana in the Big Ten, but uh, uh, there's a world of difference when you're trying to block somebody like uh, Henry Jordan or somebody like uh, Alan Page, who's quicker than a cat. Right. Uh, and Bob started uh, the '64 season, and I think I worked my way into the starting lineup. But uh, about six games into the season, Lombardi decided to to finally start me and uh, put uh, Bob back at left tackle. And I played the rest of that year, and I started the rest of that year. 
felt pretty good about it. Lombardi's theory on offense was uh, required the center to be capable of doing that onside cutoff for his sweep, his 49, the famous Lombardi sweep, 49-4 sweep. Uh, the, the block that had to be made was the center going onside and cutting down that defensive tackle before, you know, he uh, he busted through the offense and uh, and screwed up all the pulling guards and everything, you know. So it required some quickness and some agility rather than size and strength. But I had neither size nor strength. <laughs> but but I had uh, I was quick and uh, and I was able to do it. Yeah, and interestingly, you mentioned Ringo was two thirty. You were two thirty, right? Right around there when you played. Two thirty-five. Uh, I worked my way back uh, up me at uh, through weights and things like that. I to about two forty-five. That's what I. My 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 best playing weight, I think, was about two forty five, two forty eight. Okay, and and you're a rookie joining a line. I mean, I know I know that year Jerry Kramer was out most of the year with an injury, but you're joining a line with you know Skaronsky and Fuzzy Thurston, Forrest Gregg. Obviously, Jerry is still on the team. You know, a, a, like a, a legendary line that obviously was just missing Jim Ringo. You come in. What's it like? Do they take you under their wing? Um, you know, uh, they try to help you get up to speed as quickly as possible, or is it, Hey, Rook, you got to prove it, you know, before we help you out. It was, uh, it was funny. I mean, uh, nobody, I mean, it, it's the pros. You don't, uh, you don't go around and say, Hey, you're a great one. You're, you know, uh, but, uh, <laughs> the guy who really, uh, kind of befriended me and basically, uh, um, that you know, I could go to with uh, with any problem or anything I had. It was uh, was Forrest of uh, Forrest Gray. Yep. So he and I became friends, <laughs> friends, and we uh, at the we used to little known fact on our uh, on our away trips, we'd fly back, and Lombardi used to have a couple of cases of beer. Uh, put on the plane, uh, and, uh, and of course, some of the guys didn't drink beer. So, uh, but Forrest and I used to, and we'd sit there and drink a few beers and, and sing some country western songs and just have a good time. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> but, That's great. Um, and that 64 year is is a rarity for Lombardi. It, it's not a playoff year. It's a winning season, but it's it's not a playoff year. So 65, you you are tied with Baltimore after the season. And so you have to have the, this extra playoff game. And it's the back, it's the backup quarterback bowl. You guys start Brickowski and they start a running back, Tom Maddie, as quarterback. Yeah. Yeah, you're and, right. And it's and it's a crazy game. It goes to overtime. And you guys pull it out, and that sets you up for basically the last championship before they started having the Super Bowls. Um, you guys beat the Browns twenty-three to twelve in the NFL Championship, and I remember reading somewhere that you guys pounded the ball 
you picked up like over 200 yards rushing and both Taylor and Horning had about a hundred yards each. It was like 103 and 98 or something like that. And it was kind of Paul Horning's last big game, like big production game. What was it like being in the locker room after a big win like that? You know, your first championship, uh, you're still a young guy. You're still only like 23 years old. Glad that uh, glad to be there. Glad to be playing for uh, uh, the likes of Coach Lombardi, and glad to be playing for uh, uh, with with the ball players that uh, that he had assembled. He had he had some horses. I'll tell you, Jimmy Taylor, Paul Horning. Um, I don't know. You know, I don't know what uh, uh, he. And then uh, after uh, Horning was gone. You got Donnie Anderson, uh, Travis Williams. Oh, right, Travis Williams. uh, Elijah Pitts. Elijah Pitts. Pitsy was, he was, he was, Pitsy never got his, never got his due. He really didn't get his due. He, uh, he, he could do it. He could do whatever you wanted him to do and do it pretty damn well. Yeah. That was, um, yeah, that's, it's funny because for all of the playoff wins that you guys had over the years, it's funny because that, that one against Baltimore kind of flies under the radar, but you're losing 10, nothing at the half. You have to pull it out in overtime or else there is no championship that year. Cause you don't get to play Cleveland. Um, and I'm always curious, like in a situation like that, Lombardi it, at halftime, is he, you know, screaming at people because you're down ten nothing. Is he trying to encourage people to get them to, you know, you know, have the big comeback, or is it just business as usual? Hey, these are men, and we'll figure it out. Uh, you know, he the good part about Coach Lombardi was he treated you like an adult. He addressed when he addressed the team. He's a gentleman. You know, I may have misjudged uh, this team, but I think that we have rectified whatever the errors were. And and he was, you know, you had confidence in them. If we weren't moving the ball on the ground, there was something wrong. There was right. something, you know, they the other team was doing something that we uh, hadn't anticipated. And... Uh, and you know, I think to a man, as far as the players are concerned, the you know you you had faith in that coaching staff that they would as as much as possible uh, rectify any problems at halftime. Right. And we we would come out and just blow the team the other team off the field. Right. And. Uh, uh, it was, you know, it was a good feeling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But uh, and and I had read somewhere, obviously, you know, the year before when you're a rookie, you're you know filling in for you're you're, you're replacing Jim Ringo, and and the director of personnel, uh, Pat Pepler, said he knew that you were doing something right when you were you know coming in and replacing Ringo because he didn't hear Lombardi yelling at you during film sessions, um, which was a good sign. <laughs> if you weren't getting yelled at, you were doing something right. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I, you know, Lombardi 
I don't know why, but Lombardi called me Sam. Okay. I, I must have reminded him of some somebody he knew growing up or something. Uh, <laughs> that, uh, but uh, <laughs> he'd say Sam, and uh, I'd say yeah, Sam, yeah, Sam, yes sir. See yourself here. <laughs> and uh, yes, sir. You know you <laughs> you had to address him, and you had to address him politely. If yeah. you didn't address him politely, you were going to get uh, you were going to get chewed down. <laughs> but, and then, and then the next year, you hurt your shoulder in the preseason, and uh, the team the team goes twelve and two. You hurt your shoulder. Curry's in for most of the season as the center. You guys get to the you beat Dallas in Dallas. This is the year before the ice bowl. And you guys, it's the first it, it wasn't even called the Super Bowl at the time. It was called the AFL NFL championship, but it's effectively the first Super Bowl. Um, and and Curry hurts his ankle early in the game. And even though you've got the bum shoulder, uh Lombardi puts you back in the game and pays you high compliments, high praise after the game, talking about how you had played in pain. <laughs> you know, but it only popped out once, but it was okay. And I guess you you leaned into a teammate to pop it back into place or something like that. Yeah, leaned into the guard next to me. You know, <laughs> I think it was. I think that was fuzzy or not. It was either fuzzy or it was Gail Gillingham. And I said, uh, Gilly, just stand still. Let me let me push against you. And I popped it back in, and because uh, uh, it would dislocate. Uh, but uh, uh, that only happened once out there, and, and as, uh, as luck would have it, I you know I knew kind of funny. You know, you have some of these uh, epiphany moments. Uh, you have uh, uh, Lombardi came over to me uh, in that game and said. First of all, I heard Curry telling him that he had a sprained ankle. Now, you had to understand what uh, 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 Coach Lombardi felt about sprained ankles. I mean, sprained ankles were things that you taped up and you went back out on the field. Okay. So uh, I heard the, the discussion, and it was something like, Bill saying, I, I just can't go, coach. I can't go. I got a sprained ankle. And uh, Lombardi says, I got a guy over here whose shoulder jumps in and out of the socket. But you're telling me you can't go with a sprained ankle? And uh, and he said, I can't, coach. I can't. And, uh, and so Lombardi walked over to me and he said, Sam, can you go? And I said, Coach, I said, I'll give you everything I got. But uh, I can't tell you when this thing is going to pop out. But I'll give you everything I got until uh, until that. He said, yeah. He said, uh, get out there. So I played the rest of the game. And my good buddy Forrest Gregg said after the game, I think Bill just sealed his fate with uh, Lombardi. Oh right, and then he was, and then he was put on the expansion list, right? Yeah, 
And meanwhile, you're going into that Kansas City game. You lined up against Buck Buchanan, and the middle linebacker is Willie Lanier. Buck Buchanan, 6'7", 275. He's like 40 pounds bigger than you. Well, yeah, but the nice part about that is they're not quick usually when they're that big. Right. And <laughs> if 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 you uh, if you pop them in the knees, you know, I I, I watched Bill in the part of the first quarter that he was in that he, you know, he'd stand up and he tried to dance with Buck Buchanan, Buck Buchanan grabbing by the shoulders and throwing back at Barton. So I said, okay, I'll play that silly game. And I, I jumped back and I kind of like, I was going to dance, try to dance in front of him. And, uh, he reaches up and he's going to grab me by the shoulders. And I, I mean, I went right into his knees and oof. And he fell over me. I didn't have that much trouble with him the rest of the game. Yeah. I, if you, you cut one of those big guys and cut them, cut them good, you're going to do it again. If they come too hard, the harder they come, the more they hurt themselves. <laughs> I didn't have that much trouble with him the rest of the game. Star afterwards says, I've never seen a grittier guy than Ken Bowman after that performance. And and I also have to ask, that's the game, obviously, where Max McGee has been out all night with Horning, is not expecting to get in the game. Dowler is hurt on the first drive and has the game of his life, <laughs> having not slept. Do you, do you remember that part of it? I remember that part of it. I remember Maxie, Maxie uh, uh, picture, or there's one in my mind that he uh, – Bart threw the ball and it was a little bit in front of him. And he he kind of flipped it, flipped the ball up in the air and then he catches it <laughs> and uh, and and he goes uh, I don't I don't know whether he scored or uh on that one uh, but uh it was just so casual. Like, you know, he's he's running across the middle and and uh and Bart throws the ball and it didn't look like he was he that Maxie couldn't uh, could uh, could accelerate uh, enough to get to uh, get to the ball and and he just kind of reached out his hand and flicked it up in the air and then caught it uh, as he's passing the flicked up ball and uh, and run down the the field. Sometimes yeah, it's he going had, your way, right? Sometimes it's just going your way. Yeah, and. Uh, and he was, you know, Max was, uh, Max had been around by then. And uh, he knew that I'd likely to, to get in very many more of these the championship games. Right. Yeah, <laughs> it's amazing. I love that story. Um, Mistake. And they were. I made the mistake of thinking that they were uh, uh, commonplace for Green Bay, but uh, after the first uh, four years, that was it. <laughs> yeah, and then and then the next year, though, you guys do something that's only been done twice in in the hundred and whatever it is, hundred and four years that the NFL has been played. Only twice has a team won three straight championships. One of them was over ninety years ago, <laughs> uh, the, the twenty nine through thirty one Packers. And then you guys, by winning again in 67, you become only the second team ever and the only one in the last 90 years to win three straight. 
Um, but you get to, the, well, I, well, I should say, you, you guys go 9-4-2. and two, You beat the Rams. You get Dallas in the ice bowl. Now, obviously, it's 13 degrees below zero. It's 48 with wind chill. And and I've been, I've watched a couple of the different clips of that last drive. The first question I have to ask you is, how were you snapping the ball? I mean, you know, so many of the other guys, like, you know, you could kind of do something with your hands or, you know, if you're just blocking, but like you have to make sure that there's a clean snap every play. What did you have a trick in that game? No, no, I just, you know, you, I, uh, you couldn't wear gloves. You couldn't right. wear your hands. So you just had to, you know, just keep rubbing them and trying to keep the circulation going. And, uh, and basically, uh, uh, you know, uh, keep feeling in it. Uh, the, the, the problem is you, you, I focus too much on my hands and, and uh, it's kind of after the game, uh, I pulled my shoes and socks off and my toes were uh, the color of the snow out there on the field. Uh, and uh, so I had to go into the training room and and uh, they, uh, you, you know, the uh, remedy for frostbitten toes? No. They, they had. They have you sit with your feet in an ice bucket of water. Oh, oh yeah, without, until until they get uh, until the color comes back. So uh, that's what I was doing immediately after the game, uh, while Jerry was uh, giving all the interviews and taking all the bows. <laughs> but well, but. It, it, uh, and so that's so that's interesting. So so that drive, like I said at the beginning, you, you can make a very clear point, clear case that that's the most iconic drive in league history. And you know, Star is hitting Anderson in the right flat, and he's hitting Dowler over the middle, who bangs his head off the ice. Mercine has the, like the the drive of his life. A uh, couple big runs. You guys get down to the three yard line, you pick up a first down. Now you're first and goal on the one, but obviously time is running out two runs up the middle from Anderson. Don't yield anything. Cause the running backs just can't get traction. It's third down. There's 16 seconds to go. You're out of timeouts. You, what you call your last timeout. Star famously talks to Lombardi and says, basically, I think I can shuffle and get through. So they call the play and it's it's brown right fifty uh brown right thirty one wedge right that's the play thirty one wedge yeah and if you guys don't make it, it's third down if you don't make it you can't stop the clock it's not like you're throwing the ball you get an incompletion and you have one more chance to kick the field because you're only down three like you a, a tie sends it to overtime so you're taking a huge calculated gamble that you're going to get it on this play. Um, I mean, was there any talk about like, okay, if we don't get it, we need to, you know, scramble back and, you know, run another play or get the field goal team on, or is it, no, we're just going to score here. No, 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 no. Uh, Bart, uh, Bart, <laughs> no, he just said 31 wits. Let's get this. Uh, let's get out of here. Let's get this thing in the end zone and, and get out of here. No. Yes, and, and on that play, it, it is, I mean, first of all, from a guy like Lombardi, who's just all about perfect execution, this is the perfectly executed play. On the snap, you go high on Jethro Pugh. Kramer goes low. 
And you guys, the two of you combined, push him back about a year, a yard and a half, which is all star needs to, to slide through and score. Um, and uh, I think Vince calls, or Coach Lombardi called them post-drive blocks. Uh, and this one was executed perfectly. Like, what was the feeling when, when, when you kind of felt star landing on top of you behind you? Oh, and you got that movement on pew. Thankful as uh, thankful as all get out that we we scored. My my recollection is uh, it would have it was tied up at that time. I don't know. Maybe it was, maybe I'm I've got it all screwed up in my head. But uh, we yeah, won. I think, so. I think you were losing by. Th- I think it was seventeen fourteen then. All right, and uh, if it was seventeen fourteen, then. Uh, then I'm really glad I got a good block. But uh, <laughs> no. actually, uh, there have been so many uh, criticisms, uh, um, you know, of uh, of that block, of that play, of that, and so much, uh, so much ado about it. Uh, it was a double team. It was. You're right. I went high. Um, I caught him about chest high. Uh, with my shoulder and and the helmet, and uh, and he was he was standing up. I mean, I couldn't believe uh, Jethro would uh, would stand up on the goal line, but man, he was standing up, and so uh, uh, and uh, Jerry went low, and he took his left knee out from underneath him. So I got a one-legged man there, and I uh, and I'm. I'm in pretty good uh, blocking uh, shape um, and push him back. And uh, and all Bart had to do is take one step and fall down. Uh, yeah. Don't tell Bart that, though. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and that's the funniest thing about the play, because then, you know, in the picture, Mercine is flying over the top with his hands up. And... Yeah. Some people think he's signaling touchdown and he's interviewed later. And he's like, no, I thought I was getting the ball, but start, you know, star had decided I'm just going to keep it and, you know, punch it through myself. And you, back right. home, you couldn't push anybody. So Marcin was signaling, I'm not pushing him. Smart play, smart play on his part. And frankly, you know, it was uh, uh, because it was a 31 wedge and a 31 wedge was, was Marcin in the with well, the one gap, which is the gap between the center and guard, the right guard. Yeah. So so uh he was uh he was running uh, uh out there to get the ball to try to score and uh and all of a all of a sudden he sees Bart, you know, uh crossing uh, the goal line and, and going down to into the end zone. And he's got it. You're right. He's got it's, uh, he's got his hands up like he's signaling a touchdown. It was a great, great feeling. There was I don't know how much time there was left on the clock. I think there were seconds. And then and so then you guys go out and you, you play Oakland and you win Super Bowl, two. So now you've won three straight titles, which, like I said, has only been done one other time. And it was you know basically 90 years ago. And then Lombardi leaves. Uh, well, doesn't leave, but resigns as coach, and he says he's going to be GM. And the defensive coordinator, uh, uh, Bengston, Phil Bengston, 
is pushed up to head coach. Obviously, you know, there's a handful of coaches in our lifetime across all sports that are just impossible to follow. Lombardi's one of them. Um, You know, it's a thankless job. What, What was that like in the locker room? I felt bad. I felt sorry for Phil because Phil's a good man. He really is a good man. He, uh, and he, uh, uh, he, most of the defensive guys, they loved him sure, because he kind of mild mannered, you know, uh, you know, Dave Robinson, uh, Dave, Robbie, Robbie, you see yourself here. Um, uh, that was a good play. That was, you know, yeah, yeah. And they loved him. Uh, but, uh, Meanwhile, you can hear Lombardi with the offense <laughs> running the play backwards and forwards and say, you see yourself here. <laughs> uh, you're going to, you, you know, you got to do better than that. You know, part of the reasons, uh, I think, I don't think that uh, Phil succeeded in uh, following uh, Lombardi because most of the guys were there. Um, although Bart did. I think Bart did uh, quit after that year. Okay. Yeah. It's like, um, just aside from like you and one or two of the others, a lot of the other guys were like on the very back end of their career at that point. Phil. And then, then of course they got, um, divine. Yeah. From the zoo. Uh, you know, we had, I was kind of funny. It was, we had a, we had a good club in 72 also. Um, we had a good offensive line. We had uh, MacArthur Lane and John Brockington in the backfield. Yeah. And and we had Scott Hunter uh, as quarterback. Uh, Scotty wasn't the, the greatest passer in the world, but uh, he's a good kid. Yeah. But, you know, we didn't need uh, the greatest passer in the world with those two backs. And we just flat out ran over everybody in 1972 until we uh, went out to Washington. I can't remember the name of their coach, but he... George Allen. George Allen, that's it. And he uh, he put a 5-1 defense against us. Uh, and he said they might beat us, but they're going to have to beat us with the pass because you, you just can't run. You can't run against the 5-1 defense. You can't run tackle to tackle. Right. But what you but what you do is uh, you're pulling the weak side linebacker out of the game on a 4-3. Mm-hmm. Take the weak side linebacker out of the game, put him in a down defensive end position and and have every one of your offensive uh, uh, blockers, tackles, guards, center, covered by uh, uh, a big defensive uh, tackle guards or tackle and end. Uh, uh, and then you got a middle linebacker that's running from tackle to tackle that's, uh, uh, that's making the plays because you can't get to him. You know, it's kind of funny. I uh, I came over to uh, Raleigh Dodge, who was our line coach at the time. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I told him, I said, hey, you can't run against that uh, defense. Throw the ball. 
look at what they did. They took the weak side linebacker out of the game. Have the flanker do uh, a curl or do uh, keep that halfback occupied on that weak side and flare MacArthur Lane out of the backfield. Yeah, I'll guarantee ten yards every time MacArthur catches the ball. Oh no, no, we got to play. We got to play. We think it's going to work. Okay, well, all right. What is it? And it was a fifty-three drive. So you got all these offensive linemen lined up, all these defensive linemen directly across. And the middle linebacker sees that your quarterback hands it to the fullback, and MacArthur Lane comes through the if it's a fifty-three drive through the three-hole. And he's got to block that middle linebacker and do something with him, you know, throw him off to the side or do, and uh, and uh, and then Brockington can run up the three. And I, I told I, I told Raleigh, I said, Raleigh, did you got any idea how many bodies you're going to have in that three hole? Yeah, I mean you're talking, yeah, you're talking about uh, a one yard separation between the guard and tackle. That's the split. And, uh, you know, unless somebody gets one whale of a drive block, that tackle or the guard, or, you know, uh, there's not going to be any space there to run. There's no no place to run. You just flare MacArthur Lane out of the backfield and hit him. Yeah. Hit him with it, and I'll guarantee you that, uh, that they'll get out of that defense faster than you can. He's, oh, no, no, well, we're going to do the 43 driving. Well, that was a that was a game we lost 14 to 7, I think. I don't know how we scored, scored 7. Everybody knew we weren't, uh, that the good times, like the three years, uh, 65, 66, 67, uh, they were over. Hmm. <laughs> and, and you're just going to. Yeah, play the rest of your uh, career here. Yeah, but that's the way it is. Yeah, and there's another another losing year under Divine, and then and then there's a strike in '74, and you're the player rep for the Packers, and you're also on the NFLPA like board, right? Like you've got a senior role beyond just your role with the team. Uh, yeah, I was the vice president uh, of the national conference, and uh, I think Tom Keating was the vice president of the American conference. Okay. Uh, and Don Mackey uh, was the president. Yeah, we were troublemakers. We went out on strike, and you know, we tried to get rid of the Roselle rule. When people understood it, I thought, you know, I. I think people have kind of an innate uh, sense of right and wrong. But if we get the message out that, uh, you know, this is wrong. I mean, the, the, the Roselle rule was basically you signed a contract coming out of college. Let's say, uh, uh, Rich, you just signed a contract. Okay. It's a one-year deal. And uh, they said, well, we'll give you 30000 and that's good money. That's big money for 
well, you go in and you uh, play your heart out. You start. So you come in to negotiate your second year contract. You say, well, you know, I started so many games last year and and I did, uh, and you know, I ta- I've talked to the other starter at my position or the other starter at, in the offensive line, starters in Nelson. And uh, I think uh, I want, you know, I don't think 30,000 is fair. And I, I want, uh, I want 50. And they say, no, nah, we'll give you 31, five. Uh, you say, no, no, no. The Roselle rule was, you uh, were still under contract on the original one-year deal. And you, um, let me see if I can remember this correctly. There's an option clause in there that uh, if you can't reach agreement for the second year, that you agree to uh, to play for a 10% cut in, in the original contract. So now you're year is going to be 27,000. That was the Roselle rule. Of course, then you were free to negotiate with whomever you chose, but there was, uh, there was strong suspicion that there was collusion amongst the owners. And uh, nobody touched somebody who was gutsy enough to contest them and, and basically... Uh, uh, play out their option and and seek some some decent money for for starting every game. You know, that's what the strike was all about. Yeah, and and you guys and you're you're picketing at Lambeau, and yeah. for a short period you're arrested, but probably more importantly, the Packers. You all of a sudden have a phantom back injury and you miss the entire season, and then they let you go. That's effectively what happened, right? Yeah. And I, uh, the next year, I I sent letters to basically all of the NFL. Didn't hear. Well, no, I take that back. Forrest, my buddy Forrest, uh, was at Cincinnati at that point, coaching. <laughs> Bo, don't make waves for the NFL owners, and they'll treat you right. And and. I texted him back and I said, Forrest, if you want me to believe that, I got some diamonds out in the trunk of my car, I want to sell you. <laughs> and uh, that, was, <laughs> that was the year that I had thorn in their side yet. I, uh, I called over uh, to uh, Honolulu, Hawaii, <laughs> and and I played in uh, 1975 for the Honolulu Hawaiians in the World Football League. Sure, I remember it. Yeah, just to show folks that that, uh, there wasn't anything. There was nothing wrong with my physical condition and I can still play. But uh, Mm. that league only lasted, I think, about 12 games and that was it. Yeah. So... But as luck would have it, I finished my law career or law education in 72. And I had, uh, I had been practicing. I practiced in Madison for 
a PI firm trying cases, and then I practiced up in Green Bay, and I opened up a law office in Green Bay. Mm. But uh, when the team kind of turned its back on me, the uh, the community kind of turned its back on me. So, so I decided I would get into the public end of this thing. Came down here, Arizona, in uh, 1994. Sure. Went to work at the uh, uh, public defender's office. And then I uh, applied for a judgeship and uh, was appointed. They call them special magistrates. They just call you in when they get too many, if they can find a vacant uh, courtroom. And I did that for, well, uh, three, two, three years ago, 19, 2019. And now I'm retired. Nice. <laughs> What's amazing and, to think uh, that your your NFL career, which probably felt like a long time, was you know basically ten years, and it sounds like your legal yeah. career was closer to fifty, which is amazing. But uh, let me ask you let me ask you a quick question. There's a guy on your team. Uh, he was a guard. Is it L U E C K? Is that Luke or Luck? Uh, Bill Luke. He was the left guard, and Gail Gillingham was the right guard. On that team in seven in seventy two, sure. We man, we had, we really had a good, a great offensive line. Uh, uh, Gilly uh, Gilly can could move the stadium if you told him to, <laughs> and uh, and then we had uh, an Ohio State uh, uh, Dick Himes at right tackle and Francis Pay. Missouri uh, at left tackle. We had a good offensive line. Yeah, yeah. I think I think I read a quote of yours about Dan Devine. Somebody asked you about him. He said, "Well, let's just say in over his head." Yeah, I'm quite sure that he, he was a good college coach, but uh, he was in over his head in Green Bay. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, uh, I, I have to say, Ken, it's been awesome talking to you and, and hearing the stories from, you know, obviously some of the golden years for the, uh, for the Packers and winning championships and, and, you know, being such a vital part of, uh, of that team. I thought this was a great quote from Bill Luke, who was the guard next to you uh, in those last handful of years um, talking about you, how much pain that man could tolerate was incredible. You have to be able to play in pain in the NFL, but he was something else. He was one of the most underappreciated guys I ever played with. Very good athlete, understood the game, and had respect for fellow linemen. Smart, athletic, tough. All the attributes of a great lineman. I thought that was a pretty cool quote. I think that's, yeah, that, uh, that's a good quote. Well, Ken, thank you so much for taking the time to come on Chasing Hardware. I could listen to these stories about, you know, the Lombardi era Packers and, and everything else. It's just so much fun to listen to in the Wisconsin days before that. Uh, it, it's been a real pleasure having you on. Well, thanks for asking me on. And uh, you have a good rest of your day. And thank you for listening to Chasing Hardware. I've been your host, Rich Lumello. The Michael Stanley Band brought us in, and the suburbs with Life is Like are going to take us out. Speak to you next time.
Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's U-N-I-F-Y-D healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.